on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. Coming up next, America Can We Talk with your host, Debbie Georgianos. And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Today on our show, we're going to talk about desecrating the Arlington National Cemetery. We have a guest in studio, a friend and guest. He is a candidate for the Texas State House, Barry Warnick, joining us in studio. We're going to talk about flagging Minnesota's fall. Okay, that's like a pun. I can't wait to tell you about Minnesota, one of my favorite states. Um, Harvard protects anti-Semitism and even plagiarism. And if we get to it, we'll talk about porn in the Senate. And then, of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. My first story, I want to, I, you probably all saw this story, but I want to tell a little bit more about it. Uh, I called it Desecrating the Arlington National Cemetery. So in 1914, nearly 100 years ago, they, Congress agreed to erect a statue in Arlington Cemetery, essentially commemorating the um, reconciliation of the North and the South after the Civil War. It has been standing there. It's a, it's a lovely, beautiful, um, and much visited statue. Uh, it's been standing there for almost 100 years. This year, and Congress passed a bill, unfortunately, Congress passed a law in which they asked for the military and all branches of government to look into statues, any other kind of memorabilia they have, any symbols, plaques, etc., that in any way seem to glorify slavery or the Confederate troops or the Confederate leaders. It was one of the purges of America's history being pushed by Black Lives Matter. And I do mean very directly by Black Lives Matter, which is a Marxist-funded organization, a communist Chinese, China, excuse me, Chinese Communist Party-funded organization. That's who Black Lives Matter is. And they pushed Congress to pass this law that said, basically, we're going to scour the country and destroy anything that seems to in any way reflect on the Confederacy and reflect on or any symbol they, they get to decide uh, that relate to racism. So they actually began removing this statue, this huge statue that, that stands in Arlington National Cemetery. The bill called for these removals to occur by, I think the day was December 22nd, so it's coming right up. By December 22nd, um, that was to be, uh, all these were to be removed. There's a little video I sent to uh, my happy producer, yes, a short video. This is put up by Shee Van Fleet, which I'll tell you why, why she matters so much. But here's the video she put up as they began working on uh, destroying this, this statue. Statue, keep, keep it rolling, please. Um, and I'll just tell you, The reason I wanted to play that is it's an, obviously an enormous statue. It's not a small thing. 
And uh, there was a stay issued by a federal judge in Washington, a U.S. District Judge Rossi Alston, A-L-S-T-O-N. He was appointed to the federal bench by President Trump in 2019. And he is stopping this, at least temporarily, stopping this destruction of the removal of this, uh, of this, confederate, this statue that was that, again, to be clear, there to celebrate the reconciliation, how America had a horrible, obviously horrible civil war, uh, you know, death and suffering and loss and, and just great pain on both sides. Um, and, you know, fortunately, the Union survived and slavery ended and America was America again. But it was a, a huge scar in the minds and hearts of millions of Americans. The point of the statue is to celebrate reconciliation. America came back together. And I want to hit two other points about this before I turn to our, um, our interview today. Um, one group came forward and was trying to urge, uh, the, the urge that they don't take this down, trying, trying to push not to do that, that we don't want to be destroying the symbols of our history. This federal district court judge, who's, who has at least temporarily stopped this destruction, the only ground on which he felt he could issue his order was essentially that this may result in the unintentional desecration of other graves in the area that are not a problem. So he didn't really say this is, he didn't rule on the grounds you wish he could have, which is this is outrageous and ridiculous, just said, you know, uh, the federal law is there and so they're trying to enforce it, but this may cause desecration of other uh, graves nearby and of course, you know, Everyone, the other people involved are saying, no, it won't. It's a very, very careful plan. Nothing else is going to be hurt. In fact, they have to leave the base, the massive base of this statue intact at Arlington National Cemetery because they can't remove it without hurting other graves. But the real point I want to make in closing up the first five is this. She Van Fleet, and that's a woman's name. Her first name is XI, She Van Fleet. She's been on the show uh, many times. She is the, uh, grew up in communist China, grew up under Mao Zedong, was a young school girl when Mao Zedong's cultural purge happened. And now she's an American citizen. She talks all over the country, trying to warn America about what this government is doing to our country. She spoke, she had a famous video, went viral. She spoke at a, at a, a school board meeting in Virginia. I don't remember when that was exactly, a couple of years ago, in which she was basically saying, I've lived through this. I know what Mao Zedong did in the Cultural Revolution. What you're doing with critical race theory in the public schools, this is Marxism. This is dividing and destroying America. This is pitting Americans against each other. It's encouraging Americans to judge each other by their skin color. It's, it is urging it's in its purpose. It's not just a byproduct that division, resentment, and hatred will occur. It's the purpose of Marxism. It's the purpose of cultural Marxism. It's the purpose of critical race theory. She was just emphatic. And she talked about growing up watching how Mao Zedong did that to China. So she's been outspoken ever since then. She was on my show recently, a month ago or so. We brought her in from Washington, D.C. to talk about her new book called Mao's America, M-A-O, as referring to Chairman Mao, Mao's America, a survivor's basically explanation. But the, what, the reason I bring her up is that she, I knew she, as soon as I saw this story, I went to look at her Twitter feed because I knew she would have something up about it. She's basically making the point, again, that what Marxists do when they want to take complete control of society's thought, what you believe, what you think of others, what you think of the government, what you think of your country, what Marxists do and communists do is to destroy the societal memory of your history intentionally. Her point is this is this tearing down this Confederate statue has nothing to do with making sure people's feelings aren't hurt or celebrating slavery or celebrating the Confederacy or celebrating anything evil. 
it is a historical marker with the great positive purpose of symbolizing the reconciliation of America after our war. But her point is those pushing to take down all the Confederate statues in this country, any mention of the Confederacy is exactly the same thing Mao Zedong did in China when he wanted to take over as a brutal communist ruler. She talked she talked in her tweet about how the when the communists took over, they literally drove the nationalists, the, the uh, political opposition. If you didn't get out of the area where they were, where the communist troops were, if you didn't get out in time, they didn't just take over and win. They tortured, murdered, treated brutally every person who supported the nationalists and their extended families, anyone in the area. She talked about this is what communists and Marxists do. She is putting this behavior by the Trump, by the uh, Biden administration, by the people who are tearing down these kind of statues in exactly that same category of killing your enemies, destroying those who don't agree with you. She's sending a message to America, you need to stand up and not allow this to happen. And I will say this bill did pass Congress and there is now an effort, I think it's been signed 50 or so Republican uh, members of Congress have signed on saying, you gotta stop this, especially stop taking down this statue in Arlington National Cemetery. People are waking up to how brutal this is for our society, and they're waking up to the kind of massive force leftists in this country use to intimidate, threaten, silence, and coerce people into going along with their agenda. I'm gonna guess that there are many people in Congress who voted yes on this bill saying, yeah, okay, we're gonna have to take down everything that even mentions the Confederacy because they knew the Twitter mob, the left-wing mob in this country would assault them, would attack their character, would attack their them in their districts at home, calling them racist or some other term they would use if they didn't go along with this destroy America's history agenda, which is all that's really going on. This is a great issue to, tr to try to talk with other people about. You know, on the show, I always say I'm trying to urge people to speak up for America, defend America, understand America. This is a great issue to share with many, many people who might think that all that's going on is an effort to make sure that we make better race relations in this country by taking down a statue that in, in part celebrates uh, the involvement of the Confederacy in the Civil War. It's not what it is. It is very much a part of this leftist takedown of America, this Marxist takeover of America, which is happening right before our very eyes. And that, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. So we have a guest joining us in studio, which is always fun. Um, and I will tell you that um, he is here because he's running for Texas State Legislature. And I know this is a national show, and I've had a lot of Texas State uh, Legislature candidates on recently. But the reason is, the issues that we face in Texas, they're happening all over the country in a variety of different arenas, different ways, maybe a little, little slight adjustment on the issues. But the issues Texas faces are monumental. And the elections of 2024 will be, I know people say in every election cycle, the most important elections in all of America's history. So what we have right now in Texas, we have our primary on March 5th. We have a large number of Republicans serving. We have a Republican majority, uh, at least by um, what number what letters by their name uh, in the Texas House and Senate, but we have our primary in March, and we have many sitting Republicans in the Texas State House being challenged, in, you know, being the uh, recipient of a primary challenge. We have primary challengers who incumbent Republicans because there's a lot of upset about the way the Texas legislature is allegedly, it is Republican majority, but the Democrats run the place. It's amazing. So welcome to the show, 
my friend and candidate for Texas State House, District 108, Barry Warnick. Hi oh. there. Hey there, thank you for having me. I'm glad you're here. It's very fun to have you. And um, I'm glad you're available too. This is a, I know it's a very busy time. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. We've got this campaign rolling. So it's been very busy, but it's been a lot of fun. I'm really excited to finally get started where we, the people here, can actually turn our Democrat controlled Republican legislature red. It yeah. sounds crazy to say that, but yeah, we have a, a Republican majority in the legislature, but it's being controlled and run by Democrats. It's an astonishing <clears throat> thing. I, I mentioned, I think before we started, a few weeks ago, I had Michael Quinn Sullivan, one of my Thursday shows, in for an hour, and he was here to talk about the, the documentary he made called The Texas Heist. I shall not repeat all the talking points except to say he laid out in documentary form for anyone who didn't yet know how it is the Democrats, the voters of Texas, elect a Republican majority, and in the House, Texas State House, the Democrats run the place. How could this be? His documentary explains that. So uh, is that one of the things that drove you to run this kind of frustration with who runs the House? That really gave me the, uh, I, I was thinking about running for the last couple of years. Okay. okay but, but when I saw that documentary, it really shook me. And I started to really understand how it is the Democrats control the legislature because you'd think we've got a, a Republican majority, but that's not what's happening down there. And in fact, it moved me so much, I thought it was so well done that I actually put it on the home page of my website, warnickfortexas.com. Oh, so it's actually did. there, yes. It's okay. actually, I mean, yeah, yeah it, it really does explain it very well. And if you got 30 minutes, I would, I would advise going to my site watching it, and then donating to my campaign. But we can get there in a second. <laughs> well, I know every, everyone needs to get donations. I know. Especially so, up against incumbents. So yeah. that's, that's And that's one deal. piece I want to hit. So you're running for Texas State House. It is, there is an incumbent running against. You're challenging him in a primary. It's House District 108. That's and your correct. website, do we already have it up? We had the little Chiron up. Okay. So we had Warnick, W-E-R-N-I-C-K, for Texas.com, um, which is, a, you know, so that's your website. But I want to, um, so the Republican control the legislature is, um, or the desired return to Republican control is one issue. But um, backing up from that, um, you've lived in this district, I and mean, your, your family's in this district. My whole life. Yeah, and you grew up so here. I grew up here my whole life um, in uh, Preston Hollow, which is interesting because it's a little bit north of where District 108 used to be. Yeah, um, yeah. But two years ago, the Texas legislature, in order to secure this Republican seat, it's historically always been Republican, um, my opponent was barely winning by 100 votes, 150 votes, something like that. And they wanted to secure it. So what they did was they encompassed, when they redistricted, a lot of heavy, solid red Republican areas, including Preston Hollow, where I've grown up my whole life, where I live today with my wife and three girls. So. Oh, actually, this is well, not that this means why people should vote for you, but you do have a beautiful wife and three girls. <laughs> yes. Be quick with that picture up. Look at this family. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to have them be represented in the Texas legislature? I mean, that's just a great picture. Thank three you. girls. It's a beautiful picture. That's from your website. Okay. So, so and by the way, that was like a year ago. So imagine how much bigger these girls have grown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The kids grow up. I'm sure everyone yeah. warns you. They grow up way too fast, even when you tell them not to. Um, so that this district now you're saying it is a is a solid red district solid red district now plus 10 plus 12 republican and um what the legislature did was 
was add on a whole area to the district where just a few years ago when I was on this show talking with you um, and I was running for city council, this is my neighborhood. Yeah. This is, people know me, so I have very good name recognition there already. So, you know, that it's, it's something that uh, we now have a chance not just to elect a Republican, which we always do. This is the first time that, our, that my opponent has had a, a challenger, but to an, elect an actual conservative and an actual Republican. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. I meant to mention in introducing you, you have a wonderful, uh, I won't read the whole thing, but you have a wonderful resume. I mean, you, right. you are a lawyer by background, which I think, I don't think everyone in the legislature has to be a lawyer, but it helps to have lawyers there who just think through the way laws will, will, you know, the possible pitfalls of laws and how they fit into the other ones. So I'm your lawyer by background. Um, and I, I, I actually, I, I think it was really interesting. In this time in American history, okay, I'm going to get off track here a little bit, but you studied Russian literature and post-Soviet East European studies, which I have to say, I was reading that, I was thinking, how amazingly relevant for the time that we're in right now. I, I mean, literally, I know there's a Texas state seat you're running for, but America's, you know, the threats from uh, Russia, the threats from post, uh, you know, the East, Eastern European, the, the whole threats from, I mean, everything around the world ends up impacting Texas. And you really, you studied that, which is, I think, quite, quite a matter. Well, yeah, and, I, and I'm a big follower. I got of uh, Shee Van Fleet, who I, oh, she yeah? signed my book when she was here okay. on your show. So I'm very aware of how, and I w I've been saying this for years, 91, 92, I was in the Soviet Union, Russia, promoting freedom and democracy. I, I studied this, and I would tell people, it's here in America, and people would laugh at me. I said, it's here already. It's not like a warning. No, it's already here. And so that's why I follow Van Fleet, because she so puts it out there so well and explains how it's how we're dealing with it. And yeah. We're dealing with the growth of Marxism or socialism, whichever one we're, we're, we're trending toward communism. Look at de, yeah, look at DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, they call it. But it's really division, exclusion, and indoctrination. Of course it and is. And that's what it is. And that's another thing she speaks up uh, and others do so eloquently to say, because the way leftism is sold in America, they don't clobber you, clobber you over the head with it. Mm -hmm. They say, well, DEI, don't you care about other people and people who don't look like you? And so everyone says, well, of course I do. Yes, yes, yes. So then DEI is just, it's sold as a, a means of showing that you're compassionate, mm -hmm. that you love to include everybody. You're not mean, that you think that you, you know, don't only like people who look like you, when the fact is, it is, it is like critical race theory. It's an intentional division by Marxists, an intentional division. Yes, both, both, both Marxist um, ideas and, and uh, philosophies of the way you're going to divide and conquer your own, your own people. So. Yeah, it's amazing. And when Shiva and Fleet gets off on that, uh, uh, comparing America, to and it's in our, and it's in our education system, and that's one of the things. You know, education, school choice, really, what we're looking for in everything. And my whole campaign is surrounded around is is basically based on is liberty over tyranny, and we need to fight for our medical freedom, our religious freedom, our freedom of speech, but also our education freedom. You know, and that's that's yeah. what school choice is, um, and. It's, it's telling that on the first day of the, uh, the first second reading when the, the, House, when the uh, legislature uh, starts debating the bills, instead of focusing on border security, instead of focusing on election integrity or taxes or education, what did they focus on? 
the Diwali, the fireworks surrounding the Diwali holiday, and the um, the tax exemption for tampons. Those are the most important priorities. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. And, and, and no wonder we've got we're going into a fifth special session. Yes, those were the number one issues that they thought were things that they needed to address in the legislative floor. When when all of our everyone we all wanted border security. Border security, biggest One, issue or to me, or election, election integrity. Well, election integrity, you don't have any border. If you're not getting the right people that you're voting for and counting the legal votes and all legal votes, then, yeah, you're going to have a problem getting to those other areas, border security and and uh, yeah. taxes, spending, education. So. Yeah. Well, I often say, to me, border security and election integrity, these are the twin issues. If you lose one or the other, you won't have a country anymore. You, you have to have those. Many issues matter a lot. Right. I mean, many others do. But those two, they're country changing. If you can't get a fair election, then doesn't matter how great a campaigner you are. doesn't matter what you, yeah. So. I've, uh, in terms of election integrity, a lot of people use that phrase. They don't actually know what it means. I actually have served as a poll, uh, poll watcher, a poll worker, as an election judge. And as a candidate, I've seen firsthand the uh, opportunities for fraud. And every time we bring up more technology, just more opportunities for fraud. And I've seen it firsthand as an election judge. It, yeah, crazy. I, yeah, actually, on the election stuff, I was—I've been election judge too, and all, all those different jobs. And I am so grateful for the number of people who tried to go to the Texas legislature, kind of raise the alarm bell, say that we have a serious problem in Texas. And as you say, more technology, more are just more means for manipulation, deception, and unseen manipulation. And so, um, I've spoken to several people, uh, neighbors, friends who have gone down there, active on that issue of election integrity, also election judges. And they've gone into our rep, Morgan Meyer's office, when he was uh, chair of an election uh, integrity commission, and he poo-pooed them. And yeah. he was trying to get, but he didn't want to appear as a conspiracy theorist, or, or it just wasn't something that he really wanted to bring up. Well, this is an important, I can't think of any, anything more important to deal with. And if you're not listening to your constituents, then you shouldn't be down in Austin because we should be electing representatives who represent us, who listen to us and take, our, take his marching orders from the constituency, not taking marching orders from the Austin swamp. Right, and you represent, you class. don't rule. You represent, you, you don't rule. Okay, so election integrity, and I didn't realize you mentioned um, your, uh, the incumbent, your opponent, who previously chaired the election committee, election integrity yes, issue? Uh, okay, and we did not get, we got some things, but not what the people wanted out of the legislature yeah, this, on that issue. We right. got baby steps, or maybe. And maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got crawling stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, so that, that is one issue where I just think the people look at the legislature, and especially when you have Republican majority, and they're saying, don't you care? We're telling you the problem, and, and you need to actually take firm action on the uh, on electronic stuff that is causing, that's, that is enabling. And that's one issue. You know, what I want to do is be a voice. I, I don't have to be a leader. I want to be a voice of the constituency. I want to listen. You, you brought up my um, profession. I'm a lawyer. But actually, for the last over decade, 13 plus years, I've been exclusively practicing mediation and arbitration. And as a mediator, what is my job? To facilitate discussion on contentious issues and point. come to a resolution <laughs> on that and get people to come to a resolution. Well, I intend to speak with my constituents and brainstorm together 
to facilitate discussion on contentious issues and brainstorm and, and come up with solutions. We won't always have the right answer for every individual, but at least do something about it. I, I went to a meet and greet just the other day, 50 uh, reception, um, and about 50 plus people were there and I asked everyone, please raise your hand if you've reached out to our current rep. Every hand went up. I said, okay, now I want you to keep your hand up if our rep got back to you. Every hand went down. There wasn't one hand that remained up. Well, that's not, that's not representing our constituents. Yeah. So. It's kind of a, well, okay, I want to hit, we, before we start, I want to make sure we hit the issues that we were okay. talking about. Really, no, because there are so many things. There's, there's some. Yeah, I know. Well, the incumbent, though, um, has been there a while. And ten he years. Is, ten years. He is well-funded, which is, when I say well-funded, it is not just that the Speaker of the House has a seemingly bottomless pit of money. The last can, cycle, the Speaker of the House, between the Speaker, his campaign, and the State Leadership Committee, which he runs, gave my opponent a half a million dollars. His top five, my opponent's top five donors, gave him about a million dollars. So it's a small group of people, but they put a lot of money and gets around to how much campaigns cost. And I didn't realize it until I became, you know, far more active as I am now in politics, why it costs so much money to run a campaign. Because people have, so you're running great, you know, get out there, knock on doors, that's all you got to do. But it, it costs money to, and the name recognition an incumbent has, who's been serving as a chairman of various committees, we'll get to that in a minute, chairman of various committees, He's got name recognition, and within the community, people who go into vote say, oh, yeah, I know who that guy is. So it is battling name recognition, even though you have much more than the an average person might. Well, right. When they redistricted, obviously, they redistricted into an area where I have really a lot of <laughs> good name recognition. Positive name Positive. recognition. Um, but you were at, as you were talking, and I was thinking, well, why does it cost so much money? His top 10 donors gave him about $2 million last cycle. And then it occurred to me, as we were talking, when you're not actually knocking on doors and talking to your constituents and you're only relying on, well, the issues that matter to the, the big donors or the lobbies, then you need to get those mailers out. <laughs> you, need to get, you need to do something, right? Yeah. So mailers and, and you name it, texting and whatever, emails, whatever it is, you've got big events, whatever it is, it, it's a, it doesn't cost as much to actually walk on the street, knock on the doors, meet people, and talk to them. Yeah, but for you and your campaign, you've got to have, you've got to do mailers too. Absolutely. You've, yeah, I mean, they're, they're sadly very expensive, and, and, and they must be done well. They can't just be a thing you Xerox at home. They have to be thought mm -hmm. through, so they do the best job message telling what, who you are, what you stand for, and then it's just pure mailing costs and, and production costs, and, and getting, they're just... <laughs> There's a lot, right. Yeah, You've got to figure on. out what are the bullet points, too. We're having difficulty here. There's so many issues that we can address, but we only have time for so many. So yeah. So one more thing. So so Republican majority should be restored, which means we're we're not gonna we're gonna get rid of the Texas heist method. Let's put it this way: real Republicans with conservative values. Right. Yeah. Not exactly. people that just put their R on a on a ballot next to their name. And when you don't have a primary challenger, you want to know how you get a lot of money. You don't have a primary challenger, so everyone is who's a Republican says, "Here's the money. This is the Republican. You're you're getting the money." But no one is aware of his actual voting record. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. You have some information about your uh, the incumbent, uh, your opponent's voting record, and we're gonna try to hold this up so you can see okay. it. 
Um, we'll, we'll see how we do with this. Let's see if we can see that okay. there. I, I printed this out, and you know, there's a great site called, called grassrootspriorities.com, and I get a lot of information from that. That's set up by you got to uh, back up a little bit. I think. Grassroots America, we the people, and you want to find out how your congressman uh, voted or co-authored a bill or anything. A lot of these guys they they co-author bills after they it's been killed in committee. Why? Well, they can say they voted for a conservative bill, but they, it was already killed in committee. So you can do a lot of research. What I did here was I took four Republicans, and I wanted to find out, well, one of them is our rep, and I wanted to see, okay, you would expect a Republican to, here's the disagreement, here's who they agree with. Red represents Republicans, blue, Democrats. So these Republicans, you can see, who do they disagree with most? Well, Democrats, although let's back up a little bit here. Here you go. This particular Republican disagrees with Republicans more than Democrats. And in fact, on, on uh, Republican partisan issues, our rep votes 50% of the time against Republican bills, against Republican platform, and with Democrats. Now that's something that's telling and that's something that we really shouldn't have and that shows me that that person is not representing the constituents. The constituents that think when they vote for someone with an R next to his name, they're voting for a Republican. Yep. Well, the facts show something quite different. Okay. That is a great uh, visual. I love visuals and they, it helps you remember them well. So the, to be really clear, you've got four Texas uh, people with R by their name serving in the Texas legislature and the third column, the third um, line is indicating your, your primary opponent, the incumbent who, against whom you're challenging in a primary, and this is basically showing that he votes with Democrats more than Republicans. Is that That's correct? That's right. Well, and well, you can see that the against... actual individual Republicans that that he votes has the biggest disagreements with. So he votes mostly or significantly with the Democrats and often does not vote in support of Republican. Well, that's the other thing. Uh, the grassroots, we, we put together a Republican platform. The Republican Party of Texas has a platform. Now, if you're a Republican and you're elected to try to push these priorities through the House, you shouldn't be voting against them. And like I said, on Republican partisan bills, these are Republican platform bills, yep. he's voting it's actually 47.07% of the time. So not quite 50%. But how many Democrats do you think vote against Democrat partisan they, bills? They know better. <laughs> Never. They just know better. You wouldn't better. even find one, right. Yeah, yeah, they don't, they don't I do I mean, that. you'll occasionally find a Republican. You just agree on, uh, there's whatever it is, uh, maybe 3% of the time, 2% of the time. Yeah. But for 50, close to 50%, that's... That's unheard. It's amazing. Okay. One other point that you sent, I want to be sure we get in before we, um, yeah, it, what, which, wrap up, which was, you know, beside we're on uh, Republican majority, actually, with, we don't have to go into the whole chairs of the committee thing because we, you know, how, who chairs committees. I, I know that that's a huge issue. It's Election integrity, border, and then just siding with the party platform, voting with the party platform. You also mentioned before we started that uh, your the opponent served as chairman of the Ways and Means Committee. That's correct. And it, tell us a little bit about the fiscal spending voting. In well, his. not only did he <laughs> inflate the budget as the chair of the Ways and Means Committee, you're, you're controlling the spending. And he does like saying yay a lot, which means yes. Spend a lot. <laughs> Spend. In fact, he inflated the budget uh, over 25% since the last cycle. 
and uh, that's not a good stewardship of our money. Um, that that's our money, and uh, yeah. So that's that's something that, I mean, to to inflate our budget. That 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 is someone who well, I'll I'll, I'll cite a, a statistic here uh, uh, by the uh, Texans for Fiscal Responsibility. When they did a ranking of all all Republicans based on conservative fiscal responsibility and there are 84 Republicans in the House, he ranked dead last with a score of 36 when it came to fiscal responsibility. So he's, is, so, I mean, that so, translates into he's a big spender. He's a big, and of all people, that's the person we're putting on the chair of, as the chair of Ways and Means. Which is the decision the made by the Speaker of the House. That's right. And yeah. the Speaker of the House, as we just alluded to, gives them at least the last cycle a half a million dollars. So, yeah, there's so a little bit a real of... David and Goliath, or real, well, uh, a, a real this um, is, there, grassroots a, and... Another thing grassroots priorities, uh, grassroots America, We the People did, uh, We the People put together was a site called houseofbadcards.com. Yeah. And you should really look this up, houseofbadcards.com. And there you will see every... They have a... It's a deck of cards, 52 cards and two jokers. And they list basically who are the uh, spenders, the donkeys, the uh, elitists, and uh, the betrayers. And they have my opponent listed as the ace of elitists. So he's part of the elite. And what's interesting is you can see there some of these things when I think you were asking me earlier, what are these Democrat bills that he actually is voting for? Well... How about uh, things that are just not Republican? Uh, no Republican would vote for someone if they knew these types of things. How about funding hospitals that transition minors? Okay. Do gender transition Do for transi minors? Do gender mutilation. Yes. yes okay. Yes. Or um, the carbon, carbon credit, mile, uh, funding a, a study on the mileage tax. And uh, funding a study credits. with the potential, obviously, to impose this kind of tax in Texas. Oh, um, yeah. A mileage thing w based on carbon credits. Yeah, because what kind of car do you drive? <laughs> you asking I, me? <laughs> well, this is the thing. Is it gas powered, electric? Is it electric? Of course it's gas powered. Well, well yeah. that's the thing. Well, you're, you may be tracked a little bit more uh, heavily than, than other people. And, and that's the thing. This is taking away from our, our liberties. Liberty. Which ties back to your point you said earlier, it's a liberty versus tyranny campaign. Yes. Tyranny in this country is rising. I mean, tyranny, as I was mentioning at the outset, coming out of the left, the tearing down of America's history. Uh, tyranny is on the rise in so many ways, federal and state level. And that's a kind of great overarching theme for just, oh. you know, you're the guy who's going to vote for the liberty side. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to bring up one other thing, which I think is so interesting. I can't imagine any Republican voting like this. There's a TWIC card that's used for TWIC, for asylees, refugees, illegal aliens, right? It allows them the ability to drive a car. It's their driver's license. He voted to allow that TWIC card to be used as a voter ID, in essence, allowing non-citizens an opportunity to vote. Here we get back to election integrity, someone who poo-pooed it. It's not important. Well, obviously not. And where is, and as far as the liberty over tyranny, I want to get this point in. It's really important. I decided two years ago I was probably going to run based on his voting record. But when I saw the poor judgment that was displayed and the disregard for our court system, the, dis, the disregard for the voters, 
disenfranchising voters by being a House manager of impeachment on the highest elected law enforcement officer of our state, taking away his due process rights. We don't even do that to alleged murderers. Right. As a lawyer, I know that. I think as a person who's not a lawyer would realize that due process rights, that is a fundamental right in our Constitution. All of us are granted that. And to think you're better than, to think our votes don't count, and to disregard the court system, that's what they're there for. And to make a sham of the political uh, impeachment process, make it all political, that to me showed not just poor just judgment on, on my opponent's part, but it showed that, uh, well, he needs to be. Well, it's a disregard of the, of the people because we had just had an election where our attorney general was again reelected, popularly reelected. Oh, and, and it yet, wasn't even close. Yeah, and, and yet um, pouncing on things that occurred prior to the most recent election itself a violation of Texas state law. Right. Um, it just was a, yeah, there, there's a, it's an elitism mindset that says these silly little voters, they don't understand what needs to be done. We, the elite, we, we understand. We're going to take them out for you. Fortunately for us, the Texas state Senate would have none of it. Right. So, yeah. and, and once again, why am I running? Not to be part of this elitist cabal. No, I'm running to be part of the people so that we have a voice and that we know that when we send when I get sent down to Austin, that I will listen to the constituency and not be bought and paid for by the Austin swamp. Once again, I will be down there taking my marching orders from the constituents, not from Phelan and his fools. Barry Warnick, I am so glad you're available to say this was very fun. For our happy listeners, please go to his website. Campaigns cost a lot of money, so please consider yes. donating. The website is Warnick for Texas, W-E-R-N-I-C-K-F-O-R, Texas.com. Warnick for Texas. You can also follow him on Twitter at Warnick for Dallas. Um, and I check out the website, consider supporting him. And I thank you so very much for taking time to come in today. I thank you for having me. And I want to come back as often as possible. I listen to <laughs> well, you as much as I fun. can. But no, this is great. Well, thank you very much. I, we should have divulged. So his mother used to live across the street from me, from us, my husband, uh, for many years. So we, we, we have a good family connection here, too. So, anyway, again, thank you very much for coming in. Oh, thank you for having me. A lot of fun. Okay, my friends, I'm going to try to, as my mother used to say to us growing up, listen fast. I, I want to try to hit three stories um, in the remaining time. I may not get to the last one. But the first I want to hit um, is I, I call this flagging Minnesota's fall. It's a little bit of a play on words, but the gist of it is, you know, a flag, before we get to the picture, a flag is not just simply a happy design you might think up and say, oh, let's make our flag be, and you know, it is, flags are meant to be, even in the Bible, referred to as uh, raising the standard. A flag is a symbol, it's meaningful, and the, what you choose to put on the flag, what the colors are of the flag, they mean something. So in Minnesota, which I always tell you, I have great fondness for Minnesota. My dad grew up there, my mom in Iowa, and my parents met there. We spent, I have dozens of cousins up there. We spent our summers up there. I love Minnesota. And what happened in Minnesota, they've had um, a large influx, mostly due to Obama administration, um, of refugees coming in from Somalia. And so Minneapolis especially, but Minneapolis-St. Paul has a large Somalian population. Um, and they are in varying degrees integrating or becoming part of American society and sometimes not so much. As you know, if you've, we have people on the show talking about the, how uh, life feels up there. In any case, Minnesota decided they needed to have a new flag. I'll be the first to confess, the flag they had before was a little bit busy and squirrely and maybe didn't really appeal to people um, because it was a, um, 
It just was kind of busy. But I think, actually, Mr. Emilio, did I send you these flags? I hope I did. Okay, so let me just show you first the new flag design that was devised. Okay, this is going to be allegedly the new Minnesota flag. And, you know, um, I, I, as I say, I'm very, very fond of Minnesota. And, um, I, you know, they, they have some explanation of why it looks like that. It represents, you know, water and sky and grass or something, whatever. But there's also a similar flag for another place in, in uh, this happy world. This is in southern Somalia, the state of Jabaland, you know, Jubaland. This is their flag. Okay, I don't know, you probably can't do last, go back and forth really quick, can you do that? that this is a new flag from Minnesota, going into effect end of this year. This is the flag of Somalia, state of, um, state of uh, Jubaland. And the reason this matters is that when people talk about losing the integrity of America, losing the identity of America, part of it is our recognition that America is unique and extraordinary and great because of reasons, because of ideas, because of the founding ideas in our, doc in our Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, the Federalist Papers, all these ideas that make America unique and extraordinary and great. And America is welcoming to everyone of every race, ethnicity, skin color, national origin, religion. You can all come here. But... You come here to embrace America. You come here to be part of America, not to change America into the country you came from. Part of what's happening in Minneapolis is that there is growing aggression among those people who live in communities, largely Somalian refugees. They are, most of them tend to be supportive of Islam. They have endless problems in, in Minneapolis because of this growing Somalian population that has no interest at all in integrating and embracing American ideas. It is not a small thing for Minnesota to go ahead and agree to change its flag from you know, maybe they need a new one, I don't know, but if it doesn't have any red, white, and blue, if it doesn't have anything that looks American, it's a little bit worrisome. And I think for, in Minnesota, the legislature did create a commission, like two years ago, I think, or a year ago, and say, you know, come up with a new flag, all sorts of meetings, depends who sits on the commission, depends who has authority, depends who's told, you know, you need to come along with us and make this flag look more like, um, you know, the Somalian community. Because I know our family coming to Minnesota, my, you know, ancestors from Norway, I mean, we could have said, why don't we have the Norwegian flag or something similar to the Norwegian flag? Or my dad's family came from Germany. And so, you know, similar to the German flag, we shouldn't be replicating any other country's flag. There are plenty of things they could do in Minnesota to look like Minnesota. But when you capitulate to a group, which is a growing political force in Minnesota, and end up with a design that looks like a state located in Somalia, you are surrendering part of your culture, your heritage, your identity. I hope that the legislature can overturn this or defund it, whatever the heck they can do. Just say no to having a Somalian flag become, oh, and by the way, I do have the numbers. Minnesota does have the largest number of Somali Americans in the country. Um, that was uh, fact-checked by people who were questioning that. Uh, by far has the most. Uh, they have, this was as of 2021, they have a total of 86,610 Somali Americans uh, residents in that state. That's a really, that's a really big number in a state that is not that populated because it's too cold a lot of the time. But any, in any case, huge population there, and there should be a um, resistance among uh, patriot Americans of every race, ethnicity, national origin, skin color, saying, you know what, we're going to look like America. 
I'm going to follow that story. I hope that Minnesota has a backbone to say, you know what, we're going to go with a different design. Okay, two other stories I want to try to hit. Um, you all probably followed the testimony. Um, I called this one, Harvard Protects Anti-Semitism and Plagiarism. You probably followed the story from um, uh, that, you know, by the way, it's killing me to only have a show two days a week. I love doing a four show. I love doing four days a week. I love doing five days a week. However, I am running. I have a campaign I'm running for RNC committee woman for Texas. It requires traveling all over Texas and talking all over Texas. So I cut the show back to two days a week, which requires me to talk even faster than I usually do to fit in enough stories. But in any case, I want to hit what happened uh, with Harvard. So uh, there have been chants growing on campuses around this country. They are outrageous chants, essentially very, very anti-Semitic in support. It's a, it's a chant that the um, students who are delusionally thinking they're standing up for the Palestinian people and they're, st and they're standing against Palestinian repression. But in any case, this chant has started uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine must be free or whatever, it's, whatever the exact words are. The gist of it is, the chant means that what the English translation, what it means is that the people chanting that want the Palestinians who elected Hamas as their government, the murderous jihadist Hamas, they are advocating Hamas essentially take out Israel, whether they export all the people or kill all the people, take over Israel and, and either uh, get rid of or more likely kill all the Jews. That is what that chant means. That's what it means. So Congress, a little concerned because these major universities are seemingly permitting this outrageous uh, anti-Semitic thing to go on those campuses, they had a hearing. Okay, Elise Stefanik, I really like this lady. She's a member of Congress from New York, uh, actually near where I grew up. In any case, so they had in Congress the presidents of MIT, Harvard, and the University of Pennsylvania basically saying, you know, and, and Elise Stefanik, you know, taken not letting their them, them dominate in any case, she asked Claudine Gay, president of Harvard, so three women actually, Claudine Gay, president of Harvard, Elizabeth McGill, uh, University of Pennsylvania president, and Sally Cornbluff, uh, MIT, those three schools, she basically said, you know, you understand from the river to the sea is, means genocide. They said, well, yeah, we, we understand. Okay, they agree it does. So she asked, so does calling for the genocide of Jews violate your school's code of conduct? Which should be like, I mean, how could, they, the only one answer. In any case, the answer actually given uh, by this woman, Claudine Gay, president of Harvard, well, it can be, depending on the context. So she just agreed that from the river to the sea is a genocidal chant calling for killing all Jews, and yet... So is this a problem to you, Ms. President of Harvard? She said, well, it depends on the context. McGill, University of Pennsylvania person, replied, it's a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. Smirking. These people are smirking, by the way, in these answers. And finally, Cornbluff, who is uh, MIT, um, said, if targeting individuals not making public statements, you can publicly say that as long as you're not saying it right at someone. So obviously their conduct was outrageous. I mean, there were just calls for all of them and donors to all those schools saying, get these people, what are they doing running this school? They need to be out, out, out. This was the goal of, of these, um, this, this big effort to try to remove these three people to say to the schools, are you listening to what you're tolerating? Are you listening to what they're saying? So that was one thing. And I comment on this many times, I'm gonna say it again. You know, public thought 
can be manipulated. It, it happens all the time. It happens over decades and centuries. Public thought gets manipulated. And sometimes, you know when you're a parent and you can see your kids are you know, maybe listening to some kids at school they shouldn't be listening to, or even if you know what they're being entertained by on their computers or their phones, you're conscious of what is influencing them, what's causing them to change their behavior, their thinking, their attitude, their language. You know this as a parent. Well, in America and every place in the world, there are always, always pushes by people trying to manipulate thought. People use the term PSYOP, a psychological operation. People talk about many things that are happening in America today are actually psychological operations. They are not organically occurring, you know, subtle shifts in societal thought. What's happened in this country, the, the ignorance or worse, malice that is present in the hearts and minds of many um, people and academics in this country have allowed falsehoods to take hold in the minds of students. They actually have, ta have not taught truth. They have not taught facts about the Middle East. So they portray the people residing in Gaza who are not, by the way, ethnically Palestinian. There's no such ethnicity as Palestinian for the thousandth time. Most of them, over half, are of Jordanian, they are of Jordanian extract. Palestine's a word in the Bible, and people who are students of the Bible love it, and they go, oh, Palestinians, that probably relates back to Bible times. No, this little Gaza Strip, which is, I, I don't have the map. Actually, while I'm telling you this little thing, let me see, hey, Emilio? Can you find that map from last week's show about the green and the red? Okay, I'm going to show you a map again in one second to remind you how tiny Israel is, how tiny Gaza is inside of Israel, because this really matters in understanding the absurdity of this. We've had a, whatever you want to call it, psychological operation, an attack on the intelligence, the clarity, and the truth about what's happening in Israel, uh, and it's taken hold in the minds of young Americans. So they actually think they are doing something noble and righteous because they are marching for the rights of the Palestinians who don't exist as, as an ethnicity, who are simply the residents of Gaza Strip, most of them Jordanian. The Jordanian king said, whatever it was, two or three weeks ago, we're not taking any of them in. No way. They can't come here. They don't want them there. And those people in the Gaza Strip elected Hamas, a murderous jihadist organization, as their government. Of course, there are innocent children in Gaza. There are innocent children in every war. There are many innocent children in Israel, and men, and women, and senior citizens who lost their lives in the horrific attack on October 7th. So you have a horrific, unprovoked attack by Hamas, whose basic charter is, among the things they exist to do, is to spread by force or otherwise, spread Islam, and through their own acknowledgement, they, they don't think Israel has the right to exist. They want to kill as many Jews as they can and understand, you may think, okay, but fortunately, you know, we're not, I'm not Jewish. I don't live over in Israel. Okay, you know, Christians in America, we will be next. These people do not agree anyone outside of the teachings of Islam really deserve respect or honor. So back to what happened at Harvard. I know it's a little sideways, but back to what happened. So Harvard got some pressure saying this lady could not, this president of the university, Claudine Gay, could not even say, yeah, actually, it's a problem when these people are doing this genocidal champ. So she did issue an apology, at least in fairness to her. Claudine Gay got interviewed in the Harvard Crimson, and she said, words matter, like, Duh. That's like saying, you know, sun is hot. But anyway, words matter. And she kind of babble spoke an apology. It didn't really, it wasn't a real apology, but it was something like my words were insensitive, made people feel bad. So, I mean, she's, but there was no, you know, acknowledgement of the truth of Israel. Now, if we ha do you have that map ready? 
Are you still, you do? Okay. I always want to remind you again, happy people, if you are, if you're just listening, you're going to have to go look on this online to see this map. I'm just going to tell you, the map we're staring at on the screen has in green all the uh, Islamic majority Arab countries surrounding Israel. The map is a sea of green, all these countries surrounding Israel. The red, the red little dot you can barely see is a little uh, up and to the right from the center of the screen. That's Israel. And that's the whole country of Israel. Gaza, Gaza is a teeny little strip running down the west side of Israel. That's, and this is the area where of all these Islamic majority countries surrounding Israel, what they are claiming as they have worked the world into an irrational fit about the right of Palestinians in that tiny area, especially absurd when you consider that the green countries have varying degrees of intolerance of people of Jewish faith, people of Christian faith, people who aren't Arab. The, the, the Islamic world is filled with, with countries that to one degree or another embrace Sharia, which is barbaric, ancient barbarity kind of law. They, they embrace Sharia. <clears throat> they support their right to have Islamic control. They're intolerant of people who don't support Islam. That's what this battle is about. And I got to tell you, the good news of having that kind of information out there, and this is something I learned. I know I'm on this topic all the time, but I did hear some good news. So they actually, you know, you have all these kids chanting these idiotic things. Um, and so, so they have had two complaints uh, filed, actually criminal uh, civil complaints filed at the universities, Jewish students saying, we can't walk on campus uh, without people yelling, uh, from the river to the sea, intifada revolution, F the Jews. Uh, I mean, horrible things. These students are saying, you're not keeping us safe on your own campus. We can't walk on the campus. And so these people are, they're, they're pretty irate about it. But what someone finally did was they actually calmly spoke to kids young adults at colleges who are chanting this from the river to the sea and free Palestine and all these idiotic chants. And they actually asked them, first of all, they asked them, um, okay, which, which river and sea do you think the chant's talking about? Which river and sea? I mean, you know, and they had funny answers. Uh, one was uh, Caribbean. Uh, one was the, and anyway, I won't read all the stupid answers. Uh, 47%, so fewer than half of the students even knew what the river and the sea were, which river and sea referred to. It's the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, in case you didn't know the answer. So over half, I'm excuse me, for, yeah, only 47% knew, so over half had no idea what they're even talking about. But then when they actually showed them the map, showed these students the map, this is what they're talking about. This is how tiny Israel is. 80 of the 80 students who were willing to sit and look at the map, 75% changed their views and said, you know, we probably shouldn't be chanting that. You talk about just an, an iota, a sprinkling of education, another great thing. Um, and they all, they have, you know, they were saying, well, let's just have, all we mean is a one-state solution. Why can't they all live together in harmony? It's like, well, Israel, you know, they tried that. I mean, that's why they, they let the, um, I think it was 2006 or so, they let the um, Gaza Strip, they moved out all of the uh, Jewish uh, settlers there, brought them in. It's all controlled by, anyway. So so then they were saying, well, this is, that's how we really mean. We just want to have, you know, like peace on earth. So they showed them recent polls in which most Palestinians and most Israelis reject the one-state solution, saying it can't work. So 
41% of the students said, okay, and never mind about that. I mean, almost the other ones are thinking, you're going to force it on them anyway. But there are a bunch of other things, examples like that in this article, which I linked on our website. Go to americacanwetalk.org on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links, read these numbers. We start to realize these, these kids, they're not exactly as hatefully hopeful um, hopefully hateful as they seem to be because they have no idea what they're talking about. Not one clue. Okay, so back to Harvard. So Harvard has these idiot students, uh, you know, saying all that stuff. But then, as this all came to light, then came to light the fact that this Harvard president, Claudine Gay, had engaged in plagiarism. Not like stole three sentences, you know, from some ancient manuscript. She actually lifted large portions of information, and the one I happen to know the most about, because she's been talking about it, she lifted the research of Professor Carol Swain. And Carol Swain's been on our show before. She's a, she, her life story is mind-blowing. I mean, she grew up in a Appalachian hut with, I mean, with no shoes. Couldn't go to school in the winter in the snow because they didn't have shoes, that kind of poverty. And she became a professor at Vanderbilt. She's black. She is a, a deeply embracing of love of America, love of freedom. She's a conservative through and through. It was her research that Claudine Gay stole, basically stole. And so you end up with um, this. And so then Harvard now faced with the fact that this woman is, this Claudine Gay is, you know, insufficiently apologetic, uh, doesn't seem to be taking big steps to try to help the Jewish students at Harvard and plagiarized beside. And they had an overwhelming, you know, stamp of approval. We love her. She's fine. No punishment coming. And I think the number, she, you, she, uh, Claudine Gay used to be academic dean, whatever the title was, she had um, she had caused to be kicked out of the school like 57 students for plagiarism. So somehow, you know, when she knew the rules, she, she not understands what plagiarism is, it just doesn't apply to her. Okay, I can see that I am, I want to get to one more story today. Um, I'm disappointed in Harvard, I will say. I am disappointed. I, I have family that went to Harvard, been there many times, and it, you know, it's, it's a revered institution. Was. All that matters is what you teach. All that matters is what you tolerate. And so even though MIT is a fabulous school and UPenn and Harvard, if they are bastions of tolerating anti-Semitism or bastions of ignorance so that students emerge anti-Semitic because they're too stupid to know what the facts are, they're really not very impressive at all. Okay, I, my last story, I ran out of time. I was going to talk about porn in the Senate. And I'm, you probably know what I'm talking about. All I'm going to say is that young man who put that video up Obviously, I'm not going to play it. Put that video up. He's a product of our society. He's a product of our society's tolerance and and just um, not just tolerance, celebration of everything perverse, everything uh, sensual, everything about your identity is your sexuality. This this young man grew up in a society that taught him that was normal, and so to him to put out. What he put out, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you, look it up, but to put out what he put up, this is a guy, and he's now complaining that the fact he got fired is because of intolerance for the gay agenda or something stupid. My point is, 
this guy, this kid is almost, he's like 20, I think, or 20, he's an intern. Um, he's almost a victim of our society. Like, we should apologize to him for our society that caused him to be so deluded to think that his sexuality was really of interest to anybody else, that that he there was something appropriate about putting it out on social media, his conduct, and that he actually, apparently, legitimately thinks he's a victim. Uh, I'm glad he's out. I hope that someone can take him uh, under their wing and just help him grow up because, and help him mature out of the lunacy, uh, out of the mindset where he currently lives. A lot more to say about that, but I'm out of time. Okay, so I close every show by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our show today talking about um, desecrating the Arlington National Cemetery. Biden administration orders removal of Confederate memorial in Arlington National Cemetery, first erected in 1914. Isn't that amazing? Oh, so it was over 100 years old. I said it wrong earlier. Memorializing national reconciliation after the Civil War. Biden cabal wants removal of anything arguably honoring the Confederacy because they scream racist. There is no good faith behind anything the Biden cabal is doing to America, desecrating Arlington National Cemetery by dismissing the idea of national reconciliation is in your face defilement and denial of the American character. Honoring national reconciliation is not the same as honoring the Confederacy. Erasing American history, Marxist tactic for fostering demoralization and disillusionment. This is political poison being spread by the Biden cabal. America must reject Biden emphatically in 2024. And flagging Minnesota's fall, the state of Minnesota opts for a new state flag, chooses near, near replica of the flag of a state or province of Somalia, Somali Muslim refugees, a sizable segment of Minneapolis, St. Paul population. This is the erosion and destruction of American identity happening in real time and with the support of feckless politicians. It represents appeasement, a misguided sense of tolerance. It will not end well. Far too many migrants do not seek assimilation into America. They seek transformation of America away from America's founding ideals. Minnesota legislators should learn what has happened to London and the EU cities. American culture emerging from American ideals is good and worth preserving. Americans must not be mesmerized into sacrificing their country and their culture. And at Harvard protects anti-Semitism and plagiarism. Harvard president becoming a poster child for DEI hiring meritlessness. I didn't even get into her lack of qualifications, but anyway. Abundant evidence of plagiarism in her very limited published writing. Irony, the plagiarism involves in part the writings of Dr. Carol Swain, a black woman. Ms. Gay does not unequivocally denounce the evil of genocide and barbarity against the Jews. She believes it depends on the context. Other Harvard presidents, Larry Summers, have been fired for much less. He was fired for saying that maybe men and women are exactly the same. Who knew? Backlash against Harvard and other Ivies is growing. What are they teaching? Harvard board so far standing by Ms. Gay, but what are they standing for? Anti-Semitism is okay? A little plagiarism is okay? Hiring standards must return to a focus on colorblind merit, not DEI, and porn in the Senate. I guess I'll do this one. I'll get to the story more next week. But Democrat Senator Ben Cardin staffer films himself in gay porn in the U.S. Senate hearing. Staffer's been terminated, now trying to claim LGBT victim status. Gay porn episode follows. Oh, I missed, I didn't even show you Jill Biden's Christmas Okay, we can't do it. Jill Biden's bizarrely sexual Christmas celebration video, packets of cocaine found in the White House near the Oval Office, but Biden represented the return of decency to the White House. 
right. Americans are drowning in a leftist culture celebrating and elevating sexuality and sensuality to the exclusion of all else. Men and women, as nothing more than animals without dignity, nobility, or character, this is what is meant by leftism's assault on Christianity or Judeo-Christian values. The swamp must be drained politically, morally, and spiritually. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Tune in Thursday at 3 p.m. We have live and in studio the Texas Agricultural Commissioner, Sid Miller. And if you ever see pictures of Texas, wherever you're watching from, the guy who always has a big white cowboy hat, there he is, Sid Miller. He's joining us. He's a great thinker on a whole bunch of issues facing Texas. So please tune in Thursday at 3 p.m. to America Can We Talk. My name is Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. Our website is americacanwetalk.org. I do this show to speak truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can We Talk? Truth about America.